Before I get started, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that we're able to make it here today to hear your word. We ask that you remain with us and help us with the understanding of the text today out of Genesis chapter 48. Humble our hearts to hear what is being said. Bend our will to yours, God. Let us put you first and foremost in everything we do and all that we seek to glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, this message is primarily out of Genesis chapter 48 today. I say primarily because some background work needs to be done out of Genesis chapter 47, which we covered last week. The title of the message today is God's Promises Never Fail. We should know that. I mean, I, literally I should be able to say that, uh, repeat a couple scriptures and I walk out of here and we just remember that. Uh, but I know the way I am, I know the way people are. We tend to forget that. We tend to be so myopic, that is very introverted in how we view things, that we miss the big scheme. And as Dr. Jack Hughes said, just a few weeks ago, he said, the God's, when we look at what God is doing in God's providence, many times it's best writ, uh, read or understood like the Hebrew language, backwards. We cannot see how the promises play out while we're in the middle of something. We have a hard time seeing God's sovereignty when we're struggling through health issues or struggles in the home or struggles at work, or even struggles with a car that's not working correctly. Uh, we have a hard time seeing how could God be in this. In a war-torn zone, in somewhere in the world right now, there are people that are wondering, where is God? Well, God is on his throne because he's unchanging. God's plan stands. His, his promises never fail. For those found in the Lord, for those whose Savior is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the promises that God has given are both seen as here and now and then and later. Therefore, the man or woman of God does not lose hope, but actually has hope surely and securely placed in the being and nature of Jesus Christ for eternity. So, chapter 47, at the very end, specifically the last three verses, specifically verse 29. It said, then the days for Israel to die drew near. Israel, Jacob, remember God renamed him. The days for Israel to die drew near. We recall that he had met Pharaoh. We recall that they had come out of the land of Canaan and were now residing in Goshen in Egypt, that fertile area around the Nile. The days for Israel to die drew near and he called his son Joseph, who is number two in command in Egypt. 
He called Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place, your, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in loving kindness. That loving kindness is the Hebrew word hesed. Right? We, and I only mention that, not that you need to know Hebrew, but you'll hear it mentioned consistently throughout Scripture, maybe in your study Bible. It, you see the exact example of it in the book of Ruth. But deal with me in loving kindness. Deal with me in a way that, that, that is not dependent on me. I am at your grace and your mercy, but deal with me lovingly. Right? And he says, loving kindness and truth, and here's our key phrase, please do not bury me in Egypt. Please do not bury me in Egypt. This is a man that is dying that has the promises of God right at the forefront of everything that he is thinking about right here, and we might not see it. We wonder, why does it say, please do not bury me in Egypt? I would place an exclamation point on this and say, please do not bury me in Egypt because he trusts in God's promises. He wants to be buried in that field in Mamre, in Michpelah, where Isaac and Abraham are buried. This is where he wants to be buried at. The only plot of land that they own in Canaan. Because that is the promised land. He has, he knows that Egypt is not the final place. He knows that he will not see how this plays out. But he trusts in what God is doing because he knows who God is. And he has seen what God has done. Even in the story of Joseph. Please do not bury me in Egypt. That's what he says. And he has the promises of God firmly in place. Reminder. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. We go there frequently. We remember this is given to Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and Yahweh said to Abram, just a reminder, I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, Lord is the proper name, which is Yahweh of God. Yahweh said to Abram, go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curses you I will curse. And, all, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This land promise that is given way back in 12. Do not bury me in Egypt. Bury me in Canaan, Michpelah. Now we can jump into verse, chapter 48. Now it happened, after these things, that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. Behold, your father is sick. And I would say that this particular section of Scripture, verses 1 and 2, that we have here, we, would, we could title that, Visiting the Terminal, slash, Trusting the Promises. Trusting in the promises. Jacob's father is now 
truly dying. This is it. His last words are coming to an end. The breath is leaving his body. He calls for his son Joseph, the one who was lost, but now is found. Now it happened after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. He took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. Then it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you. So Israel strengthened himself and sat up in the bed. I call this trusting in the promises because it is the forerunner of what he's going to say. He's going to remind Joseph or tell Joseph what he knows to be true. Now this is so important. Uh, what is happening here, it's so important because what will we find out a little bit later on? Just, uh, just We're going to pull back the curtain just a little bit. No surprises. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. One verse, chapter 11 of Hebrews, the hall of fame of faith. This one verse captures everything that Jacob knows to be true. This one verse is what made it into the book as a record of what Jacob knew. And he is revealing it here in Genesis chapter 48. All that he knows about the Lord in those things that are important. And as he is dying, don't bury me in Egypt. Because guess why? If the promises weren't true, I wouldn't care where I was buried at. But I know that the promises are true. Bury me back here in Mechpelah. Take me back to Mechpelah. You're going to have to talk to Pharaoh about this too to be able to transit me back. But you need to ask about this. That's where I want to be buried at. Because I trust in what God is doing. I trust in what he has promised me. I trust in the land promises that are going to happen, even if they don't happen in my lifetime. Guess what, people? There are many things that God promises that we will not see in our lifetime. But we trust that these things will come to pass. Much like today in Sunday school class that I was in that we talked about the tree of life that is in heaven. I trust that the tree of, I will see that tree of life in heaven where the waters of life that flow out of the throne and the tree of life is on either side of the waters of life. I trust that I will see that. I won't see it here. But I will see it. That's the way we approach our Christian walk. I may not see that thing here that I desire to see, but I trust that God is doing everything in his purview for my benefit as a Christ follower 
in that everything that is happening is for my benefit as a follower of Jesus, even if I don't particularly like it right now. We must remember those things. Do you think that Jacob desired to die before he saw the fruition of the promised land? The man literally had communication directly with the Lord and was given these promises, right? We remember when it happened, right? We will be told about that ladder from heaven again. He desired to see that, but he knew that his life was ebbing away and that he wouldn't, but he wanted to make sure that the future generations knew. He wanted to make sure that they too trusted, that they saw a man that was dying that trusted in what God was doing. Back to 48. Verse 3, knowing the promises of the Lord. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He appeared to me in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Bethel is the other name for Luz. We remember this, Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, around verse 10. If you just take a moment and glance there, we'll be, we'll be there as a reminder just for a little bit. Jacob had departed from Beersheba. Remember, he's headed up to Mesopotamia. He's looking for a wife. He went to Haran. Verse 11, and then he reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and placed it under his head and lay down in that place. Then he had a dream, and behold, a ladder stood on earth with its top touching heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. Now just a brief pause here for a second. Remember, who is receiving the book of Genesis first? Besides Moses, the people of Israel who have just come out of Egyptian slavery. Who needs to hear about the promises of God after 400 years of slavery, after generations have died without seeing the consummation of God's promises? Here's that ladder from heaven. Oh, yes, God is working, even working to this day. And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and your seed. And your seed will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke, awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know it. 
And he was afraid and said, How fearsome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of the place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. This is what he is recounting to Joseph here in chapter 48. The Lord appeared to me. Not only did he appear to me, but he made these promises to me. Promises that were made to Abraham and Isaac. He made those promises to me. He told me about the land that we would have. People that had no place would have this place. In the land of Canaan, and he blessed me in verse 4, and it says, And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply. I will make you an assemblies of people. I will give this land to your seed after you for an everlasting possession. He's recounting what was in Genesis chapter 28. So now, uh, fairly uh, an emphatic stop. Uh, I have said these things. Uh, this is what the promise was. And then verse 5, so now. Now, at this point in time, so now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, your two sons, these things have occurred. These promises came to me. I saw God himself. I saw the ladder from heaven. I heard the promises. I brought you in here because my life is ebbing away and you need to know these things. So now, at this point in time, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt. Genesis chapter 41. Let's take a look. These sons that were born in the land of Egypt. Genesis 41. Verse 50. Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. And then in 52, and he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And we should recognize one of the things that is here is that he has an Egyptian wife. He has an Egyptian wife. He has these two sons. So now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt. Jacob says these curious words, they are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. What is going on here? We say to ourselves, what is happening in this particular passage? Well, Jacob is saying that they, I'm passing the promise directly onto your sons. Your sons I am now adopting as 
my sons to be directly in line with the promise that I had received at Luz, at Bethel. Um, Reuben and Simeon have proven themselves unworthy of the promise. We'll talk more about that next week. But because of their actions, they are outside of that particular promise. And now Ephraim and Manasseh have been brought into that. This is what Jacob is doing. God's promises never fail. Okay? Look at 1 Chronicles 5. First Chronicles 5. Second Chronicles, probably the last book that was written in the Old Testament. First Chronicles 5. And right there at the head of the chapter. First Chronicles 5, verse 1. Now, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he profaned his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he is not recorded in the genealogy according to the birthright. Though Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came the ruler, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph." That birthright has been passed to these two in that for that first, it will be the first and second born position. We could also look at Joshua chapter 16. Joshua 16. Joshua chapter 16, verse 4. It says, so the sons of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim received their inheritance. They received their inheritance. It was there. So we have this transfer that is occurring right at this moment. We could skip over it and not see the importance of it, but this is truly an exclamation point in all the scripture. Uh, we could put that little asterisk next to it. We could highlight it and say, this is very, very important what is happening here. The continuance of the promise that was given to Jacob is occurring here. We have a man that is dying, that is trusting in God's promises, that is making sure that everybody knows that God's promises will come to pass and that he truly knows it. We also would say that old age is a gift, even with the infirmities that come with old age. It is a gift. He is demonstrating to Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh the trust in what the Lord is doing. There are many of us in this room who could point back to people that we know 
that have since passed on that we could see that they truly trusted in the Lord as they entered the grave. And here's what we see here. Trusting in those promises, the realness of the promises, those promises that are eternal, that have come. And it says in verse 6 then of 48, but your kin that have been born after them shall be yours. I'm just taking these two, pulling them into this birth, this direct birthright line. He said, those other children that you have, they shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Essentially, Ephraim and Manasseh are getting a double portion of the inheritance, right? Seven, now as for me, when I came from Padan, Padan Aram, up in Mesopotamia, Rachel died. Remember his beloved Rachel, the one he was smitten with, the one he worked so hard to attain in marriage. When I came from Padan Aram, we, we know that as, uh, if you've been around people that are dying, they recall important events or things that stuck with them at that time. So we have the single most important event, which is the promises of the Lord, and then he's remembering his wife, Rachel. When I came from Bedan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And that's where he ends that section about knowing the promises of the Lord, right? He's going to pick up again. And now the promises of the Lord are a blessing. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. Notice that. Joseph trusting in the Lord. These sons are from God. It is God who opens and closes the wombs. They are my sons whom God has given me here. Because remember, Joseph, well, so he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now, the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see the infirmities of age. The infirmities of age. Uh, Isaac Watts would say, and I've mentioned it many times here before, it's surprising when speaking of the human body that a harp of a thousand strings would stay in tune so long. And you're seeing here coming out of tune, uh, the body slowly making its way to the grave. But the blessing of old age is true, and even with the infirmities and difficulties that come with it, it is a blessing. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6 one of many potential scripture that we can go to, but Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6, which seems, which is completely apropos for this particular passage. Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the beauty of sons is their fathers. We're seeing this play out right here. Bring these two, bring my grandchildren to me. 
I can't even see them, but bring them here. So I, 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 who are they? My eyes are so dim, I just see shapes in front of me. Bring them to me. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. Of course he didn't. He thought his son was dead just a while ago. Incredulous that his son could still be alive. The son who he saw, the blood-spattered coat, thought he was gone. His beloved son dead is now found alive. I never expected to see your face, and behold, God, notice, God has let me see your seed as well. Attributing all that has happened to the Lord, even if during the time, and you can imagine the father's sadness of thinking the son was dead, even during that time, trusting in God in the promises that he had given to him. The realness of seeing the ladder from heaven to earth. Trusting in those promises. I never expected to see your face. And he, God has let me see my grandchildren as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both. Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left. And Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right. And brought them close to him. Now, just a moment here. What we're seeing, we're seeing the way the blessing is going to be doled out. With the right hand of Israel, of Jacob, will be the, the primary blessing. And then secondarily will be with the left hand. Manasseh is the older, which in the ancient world would say that they get the primary blessing, the primary inheritance that comes from that. So it's only natural as, 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 as Joseph scoots these kids forward or pushes them forward that this is what he's doing because this is the way things happen in the ancient world. As we'll see, perhaps he's forgotten about his father and his uncle, Esau. He brought them close by, but Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it, took that hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim. So here's the natural move, right? Right here. But in reality, what he does is this. The one that has come in on his left side. The younger. Ephraim, who was younger, in his left hand on Manasseh. So he's like this. He's crossed his hands. Very unusual. This is what he's done. His left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands. Although Manasseh was the firstborn, they the author of this story wants to make sure that you know this, that it's not mixed up, right? He wants to make sure, first and foremost, that those Israelites that are receiving this story after they have been brought out of slavery are understanding what is happening here. 
I'm going to put these, mar- these markers are in the text so that we know we don't get mixed up. We, he wants us to know that, the, that, that, that Jacob is, Israel is placing the primary blessing on the younger. And it isn't by accident because the hands are crossed. Okay? And he blessed Joseph and said, May God before whom my fathers Abraham, Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd throughout my life to this day. And we should think just for a moment when we hear those shepherd passages, of course, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That didn't happen just in the Psalms. This was seen always. This man of God sees the Lord as shepherding him through both the good and the bad, through the green pastures and the valley of the shadow of death. The God who has been my shepherd not these false gods that are in Egypt, but the God who is my shepherd, notice throughout my life, to this day, even as I'm blind and dying, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these boys, and may my name live on in them. In the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, notice that that is a connection to the promise to Abraham. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. These are the promises at Luz, at Bethel, coming true. These are the viewpoint of the ladder from heaven to earth that he saw in the promises that were shouted down by the Lord as coming true. He sees this as passing on the blessing, although I will not see it in my lifetime here I trust, and the trust is the knowing trust that the Lord will bring this about. For he is my shepherd, and I know this will come to pass, that the land will go to my seed. But Joseph saw that his father set his right hand on Ephraim's head, and it was displeasing in his sight. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head, and Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. Now we recall that Jacob, the story of Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob is the heel grabber. Always trying to get in that place. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become the fullness of nations. Shall become the fullness of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before 
Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Those out of slavery in Israel hearing this, how they bringing together how they ended up where they were, how they probably could not see the promises of the Lord coming to pass through 400 years of slavery, who might even have forgotten through those times of who the Lord God was, yet he brought them out through a sea, rebirthing them into the wilderness with an eye on the promised land, that eye that is right, the eye that's still on the promised land here. To seeing the promised land way back here, centuries before. Never out of view, because the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. The promises are clearly in view, and the faith in those promises are clearly in view. And then it says in verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Now, think about this for a moment. God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. In just two chapters, we're going to see Joseph dead, right? In two chapters, we're going to see Joseph as dead in Egypt. But we might have forgotten Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Verse 19, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall bring up my bones from here with you. Joseph himself being brought back, brought in to the promised land. He will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Verse 22, and I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. And that's how that section just, just kind of ends almost anticlimactically as it just, I'm, I'm giving you this other, other portion of land that we took, that I took. The only evidence of a perhaps in its it's not, we're not 100% sure what Jacob is talking about here, what Israel is talking about here, but it seems to be the only evidence we have of him, uh, of a successful battle. Not that he didn't have others, but this is the one that seems to be recorded. But it's important to see that he knows that the promises for the land will come true. Which leaves us in maybe, perhaps, Perhaps a little puzzled. This is 3,000 plus years ago. There's a lot of clear uh, talk about the land promises to Israel. How does that apply to me?
The promises are more than just words on the page. Uh, the promises are more than just the words that were spoken from Jacob to Joseph to Ephraim to Manasseh. The promises themselves are writ large in heaven permanently, unchanging and unerring. They exist in eternity, and they exist from eternity past. They are unassailable. They're not like our promises, where I promise to do something that I forget to do it. These permanent promises, and then we must think to ourselves, so if these promises are permanent and God says, I'm going to give this land to them, God will do what? He will give that land to them. This is not, the land is not an allegory for something. It is actual land. He says, I will give it to you and he will give it to you. We want to recall that all of Israel is not Israel, Romans chapter 9, verse 6. But if you turn to Zechariah chapter 14, Zechariah 14, we have to deal with the land a little bit first. Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 10 and it says this, all the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem will rise and inhabit its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hanal, Hananal to the king's wine presses and people will inhabit it and there will no longer be anything devoted to destruction for Jerusalem will be inhabited in security. Now, this will be the plague with which Yahweh will plague all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongue will rot in their mouth. And it will be in that day that abundant confusion from Yahweh will fall on them, and they will take hold of one another's hand, and the hand of one will go up against the hand of another. And Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered, and gold and silver and garments in great abundance. And in the same way, the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and the cattle that will be in those camps will be like that plague. Then, so they will have the land, and this will happen to those that are not part of that. Because the promises are still in place. But the promises have also been expanded beyond just what was given at Luz, at Bethel. Beyond what was just given in a vision to Abraham. The promises are seen as greater and further than what they were for the moment for those people. We are now partakers, not as replacements of Israel, but partakers of the new covenant. There is a new heaven and a new earth. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. 
2 Peter 3, 13. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. A new heaven, new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then, of course, it would behoove us to look at Revelation chapter 21. Verse 1 through 4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God will be among God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. Not only do the land promises still stand, but these promises stand. Writ large in heaven. Confirmed by our Savior's blood. The work of the cross. The life that he lived. That hall of fame of faith that exists in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, by faith, Jacob blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. That made it into the text. It was important that they know that the promises extend beyond the life of certain people. The promises extend into the eternal life of our Lord and Savior and held by him, that foundationally by him set in Christ. We know that this is sometimes hard to, to grasp because we are just vessels of clay, sometimes feeling cracked and broken. Yet it is God who has chosen the weak to shame the wise. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 We are reminded of our weakness as we grow older. Jacob, Israel, was reminded of his weakness as he could not even see his grandsons clearly, yet trusted in those promises of the Lord. We will all face the same death that he faced. But trusting in the eternal promises writ large in heaven and on our hearts, that those promises that are confirmed by the Holy Spirit that resides in our regenerated hearts, those promises that Jesus told us that I go and prepare a place for you. And if it were not true, why would I say it? He has prepared a place for all those who are, all those who trust in him as Lord and Savior. So yes, these promises that start way back in Genesis, they mean a lot to us too. This hallmark of faith and trusting what God is doing, trusting that God will bring about the land promises to Israel, trusting about the expansion of the promise and the new covenant that we have. It's this time 
I would like the uh, young men to take around the communion elements as we move into that time of communion because it is only fitting to talk about communion right now as we have a new covenant that has been given for us. Promises that have been given to us. Things that have been said for us. Hearts that have been regenerated by Him for His glory. So as they bring those around, if you take a moment and turn to Luke. The Gospel of Luke. I'll start in verse 7. It says, Then came the first day of unleavened bread, of which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, after you have entered the, entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Now I'm going to just take a moment 